and this edition of Hoosology, Justin and Matt welcome Memphis Grizzlies beat reporter for the Daily Memphian, Drew Hill. Drew attended the All-Star Game in Salt Lake City, and he brings his first-hand accounts as to how the weekend went, not only for Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, but as a league as a whole. Then we also asked Drew if the Grizzlies have what it takes to win the Western Conference. We discussed the rise of John Morant, Jaron Jackson as a defensive force in the league, the rivalry of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, and a lot, lot more. You don't want to miss this one. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Drew Hill. He is the Memphis Grizzlies beat reporter for the Daily Mephian. We welcome Drew Hill onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Drew? It's good. How are you guys? Doing really well. Thanks for joining us. And you've been had a pretty busy weekend as recording of this podcast, just covering just the All-Star game and All-Star weekend as in general. So just kind of a overall question. How was the weekend for you? What were your overall impressions? Good, bad, and indifferent? Um, I like All-Star weekend because I like uh, getting to see everybody, my media friends, my old friends, uh, who work on PR staffs across the league and just getting to hang out like the media hospitality after all the events is always fun. So I enjoy that. I mean, the basketball leaves a lot to be desired guys. Let's just call it what it is. Like it, it's rough sitting there through an entire all-star game. And that draft took forever before the game as well. Um, but you know, media day is fun and getting to see everybody's fun, having everybody in one place. I thought Salt Lake city was a, fantastic host to this year they did a really good job of putting uh putting the events on uh nba crossover i thought the dunk contest was a lot better this year so uh credit to salt lake city for for doing a good job of being a host but uh yeah i don't know i don't know if it's time to switch something up in the all-star game if it's just not ever going to be the same but it, it just seems to get worse and worse every year in my opinion what was the perspective in the building were people checked out <laughs> watching the game, I mean, there's sure to be a little bit of just, um, I don't know, new car smell when the first couple of minutes goes, you know, all the stars are out there, there's some flashy dunks, but I mean, like, you're, you're correct, like watching on TV by like the second quarter, it's just like, there's no defense and guys are just, you know, hitting wide open shots like this is not special at all. So what, what was the press impressions in the building in terms of? Um, I think a lot of the same of, as the experience of watching TV is like, yeah. it's kind of cool at first. You're, you're essentially going there to be in the presence of all these stars at one time. You're not, you know, at this point, if you're buying a ticket to the all-star game, you're not signing up for great basketball. You might get to see a big jaw dunk or you might get to see Steph Curry shoot it from half court or Damian Lillard or whoever, Jason Tatum last night. Um, but you're not the the experience and the watching like you're not on the edge of your seat like what's going to happen next i think it all you can all sort of see it coming and um i don't know i think if you're if i were a paying customer looking to go to events and stuff um i just don't know if this is what i would spend my hard hard earned money on because i think the dunk contest and things of that nature is sort of made for tv entertainment I didn't even go to the dunk contest because they didn't have any Grizzlies playing. And so mm. I said, you know, it'll be better to watch this on TV. So I, I'll watch it on TV. And then uh, the all-star game, it, it's, I mean, it's cool to be in the presence of all those guys, but you just, it's just not good basketball. And it's honestly not good entertainment. Like getting to see the dunks every once in a while is fine, but 
for the most part, you can watch what these guys are doing in warmups before a game. They just they need to do something to try to make the experience a little bit better. Yeah, and as it, it seems like every year the calls to end the All Star Game altogether, which I think would still take a lot to happen, uh, get louder and louder. Like there's there's always the side that folks are saying like, ah, calm down. You know, we got to see all the stars together. It, it wasn't as bad as you're saying. And then we get a side that's getting seemingly to me louder and louder. Like it's time to end this. This isn't a good product. Do you think we are getting close to enough momentum that the all-star game could be sort of nixed and, and you keep the rest of the weekend going? I don't think so because like to, you just to listen to Adam Silver talk about the economic impact of the All-Star Game mm. on Salt Lake City, and the the same sort of result happened last year. Um, and I just don't, I can't see that. I, I can't see that happening just because this is such a money grab for the NBA. And like you know, take John Morant for example, who just had his new sneakers come out. Like that pop-up shop that they opened in Salt Lake City was such a huge success for Nike and uh, everybody was talking about it around the games. And so like, it's still a large stage. I don't think they want to get rid of that. It's still an opportunity to make money. I don't think they want to get rid of that, but it might be time to, to reinvent this game altogether. I mean, maybe you just find a way to mix these events all into one and um, you know, either find a way to make the game competitive or just don't even make it normal basketball. Score it on, go back and forth and let guys do dunks and whatever else and score it completely different. Make it something totally out there. It's totally different. That's the way I see it. I mean, if you're going to get grab people's interest, like I thought the drafting the teams was a somewhat good idea, but then they have to switch locker rooms and they've got to figure out the jersey situation. And it just t- it took way too long. Um so it's just time to do something different, but I don't think they should get rid of the all-star game altogether. So Drew, just want to get your thoughts on John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. What was the experience like for them? Um, any kind of memorable stories? Just you mentioned just a pop-up shop for Josh's new shoe. Um, what was your impressions in terms of kind of them being teammates and them experiencing the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it was a it felt like a bigger deal for Jaron going into it because Let's be honest, we didn't expect Jaron to be in the All-Star game. Um, and I think he's plenty deserving. I think he's been the best defensive player in basketball. It's just the defense usually does not translate to All-Star appearances. Um, so it was a little bit of a surprise, I thought, when he got selected. Uh, I, I, I think for him it was a lot of fun. Like he, I got the chance to see him like dancing in the lobby of the hotel. And there were fans outside looking in, cheering, going crazy. And so that was fun. Um he is a big fashion guy. He said it was the best he's ever dressed. He, he looked like a Yeti walking into the All-Star game. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. <laughs> uh, he had at all at uh, Saturday night, he was wearing pants that had a basketball hoop attached to them. And he said it, it was called his swish look. So he was living it up. He was having a lot of fun. Ja, he... Um, his Jaws team and his personal team and his crew is, is very large. So he didn't even stay in the player's hotel. He had an Airbnb where they were all staying and he was a little bit further detached. I think uh, given sort of all of these stories that have followed him around, uh, he's a little bit less, 
I don't know. He's he's a little bit less rambunctious, I guess, about the, this idea of being out there and putting. It, it reminds me a little tiny little bit maybe about like when Russell Westbrook started to get a little bit more quiet and a little less outspoken. Um, I think he's he's worded it as I'm protecting my energy. So he wasn't quite – I mean, he was still fun because he's John Moran. He's always fun. Um, but it wasn't quite what it was last season, at, like as flashy at the All-Star game. But he did have the pop-up shop, and the pop-up shop was awesome. Like that was so cool that it was a project Nike's been working on for months. Um, the inside of it was completely made out of ice. They like hired a local vendor to carve everything. There were all these really cool aspects about uh, his childhood. And it was the first place you could buy the jaw one sneakers. And so as soon as people found out about it instantly, they became uh, that became a very popular place in downtown Salt Lake city. So that was really cool. Like the pop-up shop actually, I think was probably the best part of all-star weekend for the Grizzlies. I mean, that was just such an awesome thing that Nike did for him. And it's very clear. I think like maybe it's even intentional that he's out there taking the opening tip of the all-star game in his brand new shoes that he's debuting. Um, I think Nike won the weekend a little bit with that because that this was clearly a big marketing opportunity for them and they jumped on it. So let's dive into the Grizzlies, Drew, and want to get your thoughts on just where the team is at right now. It seemed like there was this pivot about a month and a half, two months ago, where the Grizzlies seemed, at least in my perspective, as someone looking at kind of the national headlines, went from sort of the national darlings in the NBA to oddly, you know, John Morant makes some confident comments and they turn into it sounds like to me heels in some people's minds can you just track for us with you covering the team like where did that shift happen and what has that been like in memphis i it's interesting to me because i wonder if how much of this is just social media related and it's very easy to get i think lost in this idea that social media is real life um (laughs) and young guys and the grizzlies have a lot of young guys it's harder for them to see that and especially since the grizzlies have become the rival and sort of this anti-hero against the golden state warriors who have the largest young fan base because of steph curry and because all the championships that they've won that it has become this let's crap on the Grizzlies sort of affair online. And this is what the, these Grizzlies players are seeing. Like, I think on the surface, when you really think about it, I mean, some of these, some of the headlines I, I can understand may not be uh, a very appealing, I guess, for John Morant. But on the surface, I think he's a very likable player, right? He's electrifying. Yeah. He's a superstar. He's clutch. He was awesome in the playoffs last year. He's only getting better still at this point. And so I I don't know if I can truly get on board with the Grizzlies are the most hated team. I think that a lot of people enjoy watching the Memphis Grizzlies, but we get lost in sort of this online battle it seems to have launched here. Um, but they definitely do lean into this a little bit. I mean, it does not help to have a guy like Dylan Brooks on your team that is very clearly, I mean, his nickname is Dylan the Villain. He leans into it. He, the guy <laughs> knows exactly what his job is out there, and he is an agitator. And so uh, 
you know, they do have – they've got the right guys to play heel, to play villain, and they do a little bit. I mean, they're making out there making comments like that. But I just – I do – I just caution myself of thinking that online is real-life reality and vice versa because um, I think sometimes it's really easy to get lost in, in some of that stuff. Totally agree on that. And hey, Dylan, the villain, I mean, that falls into one of those stereotypical archetypes that you need on a championship team. I mean, look at like Draymond Green, of course. Um, Look at, you know, plenty of other championship teams in the past. How have the Grizzlies been able to sustain this success that they've had from last season? I mean, it, it was almost like they came out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're second in the West. And right now they sit at second in the West this season. How have they been able to sustain that? How much of that has been continuity? And how has the rest of the league not been able to consistently solve the problems that the Grizzlies cause for them? I think that they've been able to do that by uh, some of it is clearly continuity here. Uh, their best players have been just as good or better. I mean, Jaron Jackson has been undisputed the best defensive player in the NBA this year. The guy's averaging 3.3 blocks a game. It's crazy. Now now he's eligible for the leaderboards after uh, stat leaderboards after missing the first 14 games of the season. He's been awesome. He's been better offensively than he's been at any other point in his career. Jaw's done exactly what he did a season ago, and he's been terrific. Desmond Bain made that big leap last year. He's been outside of dealing with the toe injury. He's been exactly the same player, if not better, from a season before. I think the Grizzlies are a little bit more shaky this season than they were last season, just because the depth is not quite the same. You filter out the Anthony Melton, you, you send out, uh, well, Kyle Anderson signs in, with Minnesota and you're all of a sudden your wing depth, your young guys that are there at those positions have not exactly lived up to maybe the initial expectations. And so they're a little bit, I think, more shaky. I think injuries have more of a, an impact. I think we're seeing that right now with Steven Adams being out in particular. Um, but they've been able to stay there at that number two spot because they've been able to pr- really beat up on some of the bad teams in the NBA. And when they are healthy, they are very clearly a good team with a starting five that is terrific. They have a lot of questions behind that, though. And I think that leads to a really interesting playoff picture for this team um, because if you can play that starting five for a lot of minutes, you, you could win some playoff series. You could win the Western Conference. But you, you don't have the depth there to where if anything really doesn't go your way, you're instantly in some pretty significant trouble. And so um, I guess that was just the long way of saying it's been a lot of the same from last year, but it's a – at the same time, I think it comes with a little bit of that asterisk there and, and a little bit of worry about, you know, what happens when all these guys aren't great. Um, Cause you don't, you, that, that is not guaranteed at this point, but that's where they're at right now. So what is the expectations of the fan base for Memphis? Is it a championship or a bus mentality, or are they willing to be patient with this team and grow with them until they're ready to take the next step? I don't think it's championship or bust. Um, I think that fans here would be really happy if they could get to the Western Conference Finals. Um, if if that happens, if that does indeed happen, then people will be very satisfied, um, and I think that would be a successful season. I don't think that we're looking we're look, in this window that they're in right now. I don't think we're looking at their best season. Um, their general manager Zach Kleinman has been pretty honest about 
being extremely aggressive and trying to add to this core of three players and trying to make it four with a wing player. Um, right now, you've got Ja, Jaron, and, and Desmond Bain, but outside of those three, uh, and those guys are all expected to be locked up for long term. You know, Jaron signed a four-year deal. Ja's probably going to get a super max, and, and Desmond Bain will sign close to a max contract this summer. Um, so you've got your core. You just need that fourth piece. And once that fourth piece gets there and and you've gone all in, I think that's when you move to championship or bust. But right now it's like, okay, we've seen these guys play well. They've, they've won a playoff series together. That series against Golden State really could have gone either way last year. I think if, you know, if Ja stays healthy or if Steven Adams doesn't miss the first two games, if Dylan Brooks doesn't get suspended, um, that there was just a lot in the air. And so many of those games were really close that if you're Memphis, you have to feel like you were really close to winning the West. I don't know if this is a championship team, though, given given the uncertainty on the wing, but uh, I think a Western Conference Finals appearance would be great. What kind of it is – as we inch closer to the playoffs, you know, we, we've still got quite a few games between now and then. But, you know, if I were to tell you, Drew, the the Grizzlies are going to beat the Warriors in the playoffs. They're going to match up. They're going to win. What would you say would you predict are like the advantages or things that have changed between um, last playoff run and this one that kind of gets them over the hill with that? I think uh, Jaron will have played a lot better in that series. If I, if you were to tell me that, you know, he, the guy that battled a lot of foul trouble in the playoffs, he still battles a lot of foul trouble in these national TV games. It's almost like either he gets overhyped or the game gets called a little bit tighter and things change a little bit. And so um, you hope that he can be a shot blocking force and not get a bunch of fouls in the playoffs. So you kind of have to start there. I think he's the most important player for the Grizzlies. Um and Ja will have to be amazing, of course. And Desmond Bain will have to make three-pointers because this is not a very good three-point shooting team. But I think where, they, where the Grizzlies have a, a distinct advantage, which they were able to use last year, is inside. I mean, the, their front court is pretty loaded. Uh, we talk about the, the lack of depth on the wing, but you've got Steven Adams, who's been terrific, maybe the second biggest impact defender uh, as far as bigs go in the league behind Jaron Jackson Jr. It's why the Grizzlies have the number one defense. I guess it switches back back and forth within that top three. Uh, they've been back and forth with Cleveland for the number one defense. But uh, I, I think that they have a, a big advantage inside against the Warriors with Adams and with Jackson and with them both playing so well defensively. And then behind them, you bring in a guy like Santi Aldama, who hasn't played playoff minutes but has been great for them this season. Brandon Clark was great in the playoffs for the Grizzlies last year. And then even Xavier Tillman, we saw him hit a three-pointer in a game against the Warriors in the play-in that got the Grizzlies into the into the playoffs a few years ago. So uh, they're loaded in the front court. That's they have to take advantage there. Um, but I, you know, and they're going to have to play good three point defense because the the three point discrepancy between those two teams is is rather large. Uh, I think you have to worry about that if you're the Grizzlies. But if you can control tempo, if you can get in transition, if you can take advantage uh, of that of your size inside and your talent level inside, I think that they would have a chance in that series for sure. It's so interesting with the dynamic between those two teams. Um, in some ways, I feel like it it's been really good. You know, you talked about the 
the hate that's there on social media in some cases. And, you know, I, I totally agree. I mean, social media is not real life. But uh, in some ways, I do wonder, do you feel like the national profile of the Grizzlies has been risen thanks to those John Morant comments and sort of creating a rare rivalry in the NBA in the in the modern day NBA at least. Yeah, I know. I I 100% think that. Um, obviously, Ja, what Ja does on the court is one of one. He's the most electrifying guy out there every night. I feel so lucky to be sitting there close at these Grizzlies games and watch this guy dunk on people because it's unbelievable. Yeah. There's a reason why they've. He's in the top 10 of Jersey sales so quickly. Um, and But the comments that have gone back and forth with the Warriors, I think, uh, have, have certainly raised the profile of the Grizzlies. Because now you have the most uh, watched team in the NBA, the team with probably the biggest microscope on them, and they've developed a serious hatred for the Grizzlies that they put out there and seems to be pretty obvious. You know, I wrote a column earlier this year after Christmas uh, when – Clay Thompson sort of went off about the Grizzlies. And I think the truth is like Grizzlies fans should listen to Clay Thompson because Clay Thompson said, the reason why we have this sort of disdain for them is because we see them in the rear view mirror. We know this is the team that's coming after us. This is the team that's trying to knock us off the top of the mountain. Um, And it's almost like, the disrespect between the two teams is a level of actual respect because the Warriors are acknowledging those are the guys, those guys chasing us. Those are the guys that are up next. um, And we've got to keep them down. And so when they have the chance, they they'll knock the Grizzlies down a rung, especially like when they won on Christmas. Um, But that's just the way that this rivalry goes. And I think, um, I, I think I can imagine that it's going to continue over the next few years as well, so long as the Warriors are actually good. It's it's also interesting that the Grizzlies have the Warriors' uh, first-round pick in 2024 because you wonder what that team will look like when Steph Curry is a few years older. Um, like, are they going to move on? Is Draymond still going to be on that team? Are they going to be able to stay healthy? Like, it, it would be interesting, at least, to see the Grizzlies holding a valuable Warriors pick in 2024 if something were to happen where this team – was different. Um, and it just kind of adds another layer to all this. It's, it's, it's a fascinating rivalry. It's one of the best, I think in the NBA right now. It is totally true. And going back to John Morant, you just, you, you mentioned just being able to see him every night. And I, I think you'll agree with this. He is already, if he's, if he's not already there as a premier superstar within the NBA, that usually brings, you know, the expectations of a championship. How, how is he dealing with that? You know, every single night, knowing that he, you know, he's put in that class of LeBron, Luca, you know, um, the Joker, Damian Lillard, etc. The premier players every night. Those expectations, not just being an emerging superstar, but hey, these expectations are. Even if you have the best record in the West, that's not good enough. I mean, you're going further into taking those further steps every single year. That's the expectations. Now, how is he? starting to deal with that in terms of those race expectations. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, before I even get to Ja, I think you, you're making a good point, which is that, and I've been able to see this at covering the team the last three years, as sort of his stardom has risen, it is so plain and clear to the, like we go on these road games and, and, you know, there, there would be Lakers games, Warriors games and FedEx forum in Memphis. And, the whole half the lower bowl would be in blue and yellow or half the lower bowl would be in purple and gold. And 
it'd be like, ah, you know, it, it really stinks that we can't keep those fans out of our building. Well, guess what? Now the Grizzlies go on the road to Philadelphia. They go on the road to Boston, and there's number 12 jerseys everywhere in the arena. It's like the job mania is un, unescapable, um, even in a great sports town like Boston. I mean, it was crazy to see everybody crowded around them. But it does raise a level of expectations, as you said. And – I think it's been maybe a little bit more of a struggle for Ja than it has been for other players because he came from such a, a low-profile school. Uh, he was never a highly touted recruit. Like This level of attention on, on him, I think, is something that he's still adjusting to at this point in his life. And I think it ha- he, he had admitted at the end of last season that it is a, a, a mental battle, like to not be able to go out in public and eat dinner with your family and like – and everywhere you go, everybody's asking you about the Grizzlies and like you're giving up your normal life, I guess. Um, and the expectations are so high and you have an entire city that until you has never had a superstar like this. And so there's definitely a lot of pressure and it's a lot for him to try to handle as a 23 year old kid. Um, so uh, I, I think it's it's. It wears on him a little bit, um, for sure. I think he's kind of he's the right guy for the job, at least for Memphis. He seems to embrace the small market. Um, he embraces the culture of the community here, for sure. Um, and so I, a lot of people really like him for that. But at the same time, it is I'm sure uh, I, I would never know, <laughs> but I am sure is it is a has to be draining for him. Are there any steps he is taking or maybe the team around him to make sure that he's able to handle this, you know, added responsibility, added pressure. So he doesn't crumble underneath it. Um, I just think about, you know, when we watch inside the NBA and, you know, Kenny or Charles or Shaq, they'll mention mentors that they had to just make sure that they watch out for pitfalls that, you know, they don't fall into to make sure that they're successful for the rest of their careers. Does John Moran have any mentors that are currently guiding him on the right path so he doesn't make any mistakes off um, the court or even on the court? I can't say for sure. I do know that Tayshaun Prince is part of the Grizzlies front office, so I would imagine that he has some sort of role um, in this. But Ja is sort of uh, figuring this out on his own, right? Like if, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, what are you telling Ja Morant, right? <laughs> ja Morant is your cash cow. Ja Morant is your superstar player. Um, he is the player that is committed to the small market and said he wants to be there a player that signed the max deal and didn't even include a player option because he said he was happy being in Memphis. Um, if you're, if you're the Grizzlies, it, you're, you're trying to keep jaw happy. Um, I don't think you're, tr- you know, let, you're not really coaching him quite as much. I think, I think their focus on is on making sure he's, he's happy with the way that they're building the team and all that. So I don't, I don't have a great answer for that. Honestly, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I would assume that Tayshaun Prince has had conversations with him, though, since he's part of that front office. Curious, Drew, um, you know, going back to like the grit and grind days of the Grizzlies, like when that started up, it does feel like at least, again, just my perception comparing the Grizzlies with other teams in the league, it seems like there's more of a close knit I don't know if it's the culture in the front office or the community in general, just how Memphis has embraced the team. But even before Jaw signed that extension, like 
there wasn't really any doubt or questioning, at least for me, about whether he'd be staying or not. Like seemed seemed pretty happy there. Of course, he's got some some degree of like spotlight on him in Memphis. But um, can you just describe that for me and you know what you think might be the cause of that sense of a more close knit community? Or maybe I'm totally off base and even perceiving that. No, I think you're right. Um, Jaw, you have to keep in mind, comes from small town South Carolina. So I don't think he's necessarily set on playing in New York City in the biggest market. And even though he plays in Memphis, as I mentioned earlier, at All-Star Weekend, he's the player with the most attention on him. Because, like, and LeBron James was there. But LeBron doesn't have the pop-up shot, you know, station right across from the arena like he doesn't have full experiences dedicated to him there I'm, I'm sure he has in the past but right now nike's rolling out that red carpet for jaw and so um i think it, it's a combination of like just he's he's happy in memphis he doesn't have to go anywhere else to get that kind of treatment um because the grizzlies have become so relevant on a national scale uh, they're, they're not playing a single road game in the month of February uh, on their, on Valley sports, like on their local network, every game has been on national TV. And so they're getting a ton of attention right now, despite that. And I think the team is very close knit because uh, their oldest player is 29 years old, Steven Adams. And so many of their guys all have sort of the same interests or fall in the same age range. And so from a chemistry perspective, it's worked really well. You also have Ja really embracing some of the things about Memphis that make this city uh, the way that it is, like the hip hop scene. If you think about that just in general, like he and Moneybag Yo, rapper, great relationship. He said he's courtside with them hanging out. And Ellie Chaba, another Memphis rapper, Ja's hanging out with him. Um, And Ja's wears the big chains, you know, the Grizzlies City Edition uniform this year. Uh, is made to sort of mimic those those pendants from Memphis hip hop and Memphis culture. And Ja has really leaned into that. And I think that that has only helped him become an even more beloved figure here in Memphis. Um, and it just works, you know. Ja was the underdog in his life, his entire life leading up to this moment. The Grizzlies are the most... For- one of the most forgotten teams in the NBA easily. People pass off on Memphis and say, whatever, other teams come here and you don't have to worry about them being hung over playing the game the next day because people say, oh, there's nothing to do in Memphis. You know what I mean? And so people really embrace that underdog mentality. And they people here in Memphis, like, I mean, you know it from working the media. If you say anything critical, like, people are on you. That's because they really consider themselves to be the underdogs and jaw fits right in so perfectly in that mold that it has just worked for whatever reason it's worked. The whole team has sort of followed his lead and um, it's, it's Memphis versus everybody. That's the culture. Like I know it started, that started in Detroit, but like they've really taken a a grasp of that and, and tried to make it a, uh, turn a new leaf here. It, it went from grit and grind to now Grizz next gen and this next gen of teams. Uh, it's G and G either way you put it grit and grind Grizz next gen. And uh, this next gen is uh, doing their best to sort of be the underdog, but be the underdog in a different way than those teams were in a more flashy way in a way that fits Jaws personality. 
Awesome, Drew. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and then where they can find your work and anything else you're working on as well. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Drew Hill underscore DM. I have a Grizzlies podcast that I do with uh, our columnist, Chris Harrington. That's called the Daily Memphians Memphis Grizzlies podcast. You can find all my work at thedailymemphian.com. Um, it's, I'm writing a lot. I do newsletters twice a week. I, you know, I'm at every practice, most of the games. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good place to follow grizzly stuff if that's what you're into. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yep. Thanks guys.